And here's a reading from God's Word, Luke 18, 15 and following. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him and saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Let's pray. Father, we come tonight so thankful. And while we're thankful and grateful for the many things uh, that you have done in our life, Lord, I pray that we would also be humble by just how great you are. And Lord, I thank you for these children and what they represent to us, and even this moment and what it means as they lead us in worship. Lord, I thank you that they are not just worship leaders of tomorrow, but at least for tonight, they're the worship leaders of today. So Lord, would you bless our time together. May we make much of you. And Lord, may we have a heart for Christ, just Christ. In Christ's name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Boy, their first song was about joy. And I think y'all smiled more in the last three songs than you had the last three Sundays. You know, something about a child that, at least for me anyway, that gets my attention. One is um, when they do something that an adult would not do, you know, like scream in public. That gets my attention. Um, or, or the second is when they do what an adult should do, like worship. And that gets our attention. And there's something attention-getting and arresting and something innocent and pure about our kids leading us in worship. And it is something that we shouldn't take it for granted. We get so used to our rhythm and the sound of certain voices or the sound of our voice or our spouse's voice if they have a good one. Uh, and sometimes we get used to the bad sound too. But um, we get so used to that and to come in and to have our kids lead us. It, it's, it's a little disorienting in, in a very pure and innocent way. And so I'm thankful that uh, Jared had that idea, especially as we come to our text today. Uh, I've already read it for you. It's Luke 18, if you'd like to follow along. Luke 18, starting in verse 15. It is good to be back. Uh, Egypt was, um, uh, it was hard but good. Uh, and I'll share a little bit about that tonight. And it's amazing, uh, you know, how God moves in amazing, beautiful unexpected ways on mission trips like that and so I will share a little bit about that tonight because uh, I think it applies but let's pray and we'll get started father we thank you so much because you are so good we thank you uh, for these children who have led us to your throne tonight and we're so thankful and Lord we pray especially as we come to this text that uh, you would truly make us childlike in so many beautiful ways and would you help us now stay focused and Lord we ask by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would speak to each one of us we all come in from different places carrying different things tonight uh, but your word is alive and active and so Lord would you do what we cannot we just say speak Lord your servants are listening we pray this in Jesus name and everybody said imagine with me for a moment that you do not have the ability 
really to communicate. And when you do communicate, people don't understand you. But you try anyway. Or imagine with me that you cannot make your own food just the way you like it. Or imagine that you cannot brush your own teeth or your gums, whichever one you have more of. Imagine that you cannot mix your morning coffee just so. Imagine not being able to stay focused for more than just a few seconds without seriously being distracted. Imagine not being able to roll over after you've fallen over. Imagine not being able to lend a helping hand because you're in constant need of one yourself. Imagine not being able to perform the simplest task in life. If you've ever been there, or if you are there, or if you can put yourself in those shoes, well, you're closer to the kingdom of God than many. You see, if you can identify as an infant, Jesus says the kingdom is yours. Infants try to communicate, and a lot of times, most of the time, we don't understand them. Infants don't prepare their own food, they don't brush their own teeth, or gums for that matter. They certainly don't mix their own morning coffee. They're years away from that. They don't stay focused for more than a few seconds without being seriously distracted. They can't roll over after they've fallen over. They can't lend a helping hand because someone's always needing to help them. They cannot perform the simplest task. And yet Jesus says that if you can identify in this way, then the kingdom of God is yours. And in this call that Jesus has here, he calls us not to be childish, that childish part of us that's all about me, my, I. He doesn't call us to be childish, but he does call us to be childlike. And it's true that there are characteristics of childhood that we should mature out of. Some of us do, some don't, and that's just a fact of life. But there are qualities of childhood that we should never forget. And the question really is, what does all this mean? I mean, surely Jesus does not want us to be weak all the time. Surely Jesus does not want us to uh, live in this constant need of assistance. Surely, surely Jesus does not want us to live our life at the mercy of someone else. But you see, what Jesus did in welcoming these children into his presence on this day was to look at the people around him and to look at the children and say that these infants, these weak, these vulnerable are of the utmost importance and they can teach us something that is, the, uh, that is of the utmost importance. And what Jesus is communicating here is two things, really. One is about the nature of the kingdom. And the second is about the kind of person that enters the kingdom. 
at least in part. He's talking both about the nature of the kingdom and the kind of person that can enter the kingdom. Let's start with the second question. How do I get into the kingdom? It's a good question. I'm so glad you asked. Verse 15. It says, now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. That phrase, touch them, is to touch them and pronounce a blessing over them. That's what that means. Notice what that verse is revealing to us. It says, now they were bringing even infants. Even infants. You see, if we're going to get into the kingdom, the first thing we have to realize is that someone has to bring you. Someone has to bring you. It says, now they were bringing even infants. But notice there's a they there. We all need a they, don't we? We all need a they. Someone is bringing someone else. The infants could not get there themselves. They had to be brought, right? They couldn't walk, much less walk the tough terrain. They couldn't fight, much less fight through the crowd. Someone had to bring them in this moment. They could not get there on their own, and neither can you. Neither can you. You can't get to Jesus on your own. Now, we like to think we can, don't we? We like to think that we're smart enough and we're clever enough and, you know, we've worked things out. We like to think that we can get to God on our own. The problem is we can't. Someone has to bring us. And one of the things that's being communicated by Luke in this story is that this very real physical limitation of these infants... This very real physical limitation provides us a spiritual, a spiritual prophetic picture. And that picture is simply, we need a they. They may be known or unknown, but we need them. Everybody does. We need those people who can see us. I mean, really see us. We need people who can see us in all of our weakness. We need people who can see us in all of our vulnerability. We need people who can see us in all of our inability to get to Christ on our own. And then we need those people to care. We need people to care enough about us to carry us. We need people in our life who will care enough about us to actually carry us. And a really good question to ask, a great question in fact, is who brought you here? Who brought you here? You see, someone pointed in Jesus' direction for you. Who was that? Someone pointed in His direction. Someone spoke about His kindness to you. Someone talked about his love to you. Someone talked about his forgiveness to you. Someone talked about his grace to you. Someone talked about his mercy to you. You didn't get here on your own. Someone pointed in his direction for you. Someone cared enough about you to carry you into close proximity with Jesus. This is how it works. And a question we have to ask ourselves is, who are we bringing? Who do we care enough about to carry them into close proximity to Jesus? And we many times ask the question, you know, you say, Chris, I understand, you know, we can't get there on the other. But why does it have to be that way? 
Well, it's very simple, actually. Every conversion requires an intervention. And every intervention means there has to be some kind of interaction. This is the way God designed it. Even when Jesus appears to people in Scripture, even, even when He appears, there's an intervention right there because He's appearing. He is interacting with somebody. So if, if we're going to come to this idea of getting into the kingdom, if we're going to come to this idea of conversion, if we're going to come to this idea of salvation, we have to understand, we have to be humble enough to at least admit that someone had to bring us to this point. And it's normally not just one person, it's many. It's many people pointing in His direction. Many people testifying about His love. Many people sharing God's stories, testimonies about what God has done. But someone has to bring you. And then once you've been brought, well, then your responsibility is go get somebody else and bring them. And I think God wants us to understand that about these children in this story. If we're going to be Christ-like, someone has to bring you. But here's the thing. Number two is that when, when someone brings you, we have to always remember someone's not going to like it. Right? Someone's not going to like the fact that you've come into close proximity with Jesus. Someone's not going to like the fact that you've experienced His love. Someone's not going to like the fact that you've experienced His grace. Somebody's not going to like it out there. In our text, we, we, have, we have some real idiots here. It's the disciples. You know, God bless them. You see, someone has to bring you, but someone's not going to like it. And the verse goes on, it says, Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. <laughs> Unfortunately, the disciples are to blame at this point. And you know what? Sometimes the disciples are still to blame. Sometimes it's the disciples of Jesus that can be a hindrance to Jesus. It's part of the reality of not only this text, but the whole Bible. That's why the Bible doesn't paint the disciples as just all perfect. It's why the Bible is not redacted to take out all the stupid moments the disciples have. It's honest. And sometimes even the disciples get it wrong. And in this case, they got it wrong. It was those who had been walking with Jesus and watching Jesus love so many people. So many different kinds of people. These are the disciples that have watched Him heal people who others thought were unhealable. They've watched Jesus love people who others thought were unlovable. They, they saw Him reach out a hand and speak a word. They, they, they've seen Him do amazing things up to this point with people who some considered unlovable. And yet when it comes to this moment and people are bringing these children to Him, they rebuke them. Rebuke them. And the question, I guess a good question to ask, is why would they make such a boneheaded move? And the answer is actually a little more simple. It, it, they were not just having a bad day. They were simply doing what their culture had taught them to do. This is normal in the first century. It's normal for children to not be accepted in the presence of adults. Very normal, very common. Everybody knew this. There are even times and places now in our society in which children are not accepted in the presence of adults. 
Sometimes we experience that even in church, don't we? You bring a child into a church service, the mom wants to hold the child for one reason or another, the dad wants to hold the child for one reason or another, the child does what children do and they cry out, next thing you know they get ten bad looks, which is the same as the disciples rebuking them, by the way. But they're just doing what the culture had taught them to do. In the first century, since, you see, a child had no class. No class. And I'm not talking about etiquette. We think of terms of lower, middle, and upper class. That's not how it was in the first century. There was those who were of lower class, and then there was about 5% who were the upper class. But children were considered to have zero class, meaning they had zero standing in society, absolutely none. In fact, especially the Jews, they would look at children as adults in waiting. They just existed until they became old enough to enter into adulthood, and then, then they had a position in society. In fact, rabbis would teach during this time period, rabbis would say that it would be a waste of time, a waste of time to spend time with a child. A waste of time. So the disciples on this day, they're just simply doing what their culture had taught them to do. But not Jesus. And that's why this story is in the Bible. A lot of times we read it and we say, oh, that's nice, that, that, isn't that sweet? Jesus is sweet. He liked kids. Yeah, a lot of people like kids. Not in this world. Especially if they were kids who were not yours. But Jesus spending time with children in public and letting people bring their children to him that he might touch them and pronounce a blessing on them is absolutely unheard of among rabbis. You don't do this. This is not normal. But Jesus does it. So his disciples rebuke them, but again, they're just living out of their own culture at this point. But Jesus is teaching them a different culture. He's teaching them the culture of heaven. And so we see that if we're going to get into the kingdom, someone has to bring us into the kingdom. Some people aren't going to like it. But notice what Jesus does. When the disciples rebuke them here, the text says, But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. What Jesus does is he stands up for the children. He stands up for them so that he can stand with them in this very public display and again he's revealing something about the nature of the kingdom and he says uh, this word hinder this word hinder in Greek it means do not withhold this opportunity do not withhold this opportunity from them for such belongs the kingdom of God. And notice that Jesus does not rebuke the disciples back. The disciples, they, you know, they think they're protecting Jesus. They start rebuking the people for bringing the kids over. But Jesus doesn't rebuke the disciples. He says he called them. He doesn't get called in a back and forth argument. He simply corrects their action and then reveals a truth about the kingdom of God. And he says here, here's why I've come. The kingdom belongs to them. The word belongs there is a Greek word, esten. It, it means it's identical with. And when Jesus said this in public, when he says, no, 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 no. For such, the kingdom belongs, he's saying the kingdom is identical to them. 
At that moment, the disciples' mouths dropped. And their mind began racing. I I know this because I was there. Their mind began racing. And and they started thinking, wait, 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 wait. I thought the kingdom was ours. I thought we were identical to the kingdom. We're the one walking around with him. We've been on the road for a long time. We're like over three years into this thing now. Surely, surely, the kingdom is ours. He goes, no, 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 the kingdom is identical. It belongs. It's identical to these children. And in that moment, the disciples are beginning to understand a little more what this kingdom and what this king is all about. And they're beginning to see their role a little more clearly. I was thinking about this. This Jesus standing up for these people who have no social standing. I was reflecting on the week I just had. Uh, In Egypt, I was in Alexandria and we were working with Sudanese refugees. There's been about a million of them come into the country in the past month. There's about six million there total. There's a war going on in Sudan, and it's absolutely horrible. The war is between Sudan and South Sudan. Sudan should be the richest country in Africa, but it's not because they fight. And it's been going on a while. And one of the highlights of the week was uh, the last night I was there, I got to go up on the rooftop at night after dinner. We ate dinner around 9.30 at night, by the way. <laughs> a little different timetable. And um, we went up on the rooftop and, you know, we had the stars above us. We had all of Alexandria around us. You could see and the ocean. You couldn't see it at night, but it was there. And, and on that rooftop, there was this group of college students, Sudanese college students, because of money, I believe, from NATO, they're able to go to college. Many of them are, I mean, they're about to graduate as surgeons, doctors, pharmacists, just amazing, amazing young people. And I got a picture, actually. Uh, there, there's a, a lot of them. And we had to go inside to take the picture, but you, they wanted to take the picture. And we sat on the rooftop that night, and we just talked, and they just wanted to ask the preacher questions through a translator and if you see the guy over all the way over with the kind of yellow shirt on uh, that that's Montez I've uh, known him for a couple of years now he was my translator and we talked a lot and and their questions these are young people they're they're asking some very serious questions because they're living in a very serious situation and a lot of their questions were around two things one was race and the other was religion because these are the two areas that they're persecuted in. They're persecuted because they're Christians in a Muslim country. It's illegal to convert to Christianity in Egypt. But they're not only persecuted for their religion, they're also persecuted because they're black. They're not Arab. They're from Sudan. They're not from Egypt. You and I live in a world in which we've walked through this many years ago. and Montgomery was the epicenter of that. But they haven't walked through that. And they don't have the freedoms that we have in this country. So if a Sudanese person is sitting on a bus and an Arab gets on and he wants that seat, guess what? He gets that seat. If you refuse, you may wind up in jail. Sound familiar? 
And that's what they live with every day. The constant threat of insulting a Muslim, which is a crime, and the constant oppression because they are black, not Arab. And we sat there that night. And I thought, I can't believe I'm preaching on this text when I get back. They're not infants. They're not. But they're young people. They are. And there's a whole lot of people saying, you can't go to him. You can't go to God in that way. It's not through Jesus, it's through Muhammad. Or they're saying, you can't go to God. You're black, you're not Arab. And they hear this message constantly constantly. And as I was reading this passage, and I was reading verse 16 about how, no, 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 Jesus called them over. He said, no, 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 let them come. I just sat there night after night, day after day. We had multiple sessions a day, multiple worship services a day. And and I just sat there, and I, I just thought, wow, this is what Jesus was talking about. He's just saying, let them come to me. Let them come. And boy, did they. And it was amazing. And it was beautiful. There were over 90 in all. This is just a few of them. But I thought these are the kind of people Jesus is talking about. You see, because in this text, Jesus is not lowering the standard. He's raising a standard. And he's communicating to us something very important about the nature of the kingdom. And what he's communicating is is that the kingdom is the place where Jesus is the king and he holds the disciples accountable to love. And at the same time, he calls the dependents, infants, to be loved. The infants teach us that we are to realize that we are loved even in our limitations. And boy, there are many. The disciples in this story teach us that we are to be conduits of Christ's love, his inconvenient love, his all-encompassing love. And here Jesus is raising the standard, not lowering it. And in verse 17, he says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And what he means there by like a child is you have to receive the kingdom totally dependent. Totally dependent. Whenever we hear things like that, that God says, if you want to come into the kingdom, you've got to be totally dependent. When we hear that, we intend to ask the question, why does God want us to be dependent on him? It just sounds mean. Is this an ego trip? Why does God want us to be totally dependent on Him? Do we really need to be totally dependent on Him? You see, it's not that God wants you to be totally dependent upon Him. It's that God wants you to realize you already are. You see, you are dependent on somebody outside of you. If you don't believe me, just go get in your car and drive home. You're dependent upon everybody else who's on the road to follow the rules, to stay awake, to stay alert, to stay off their phone. Yeah. You're trusting them as you drive by them at 60 miles an hour. We depend on others all the time. And Jesus here is saying, you are going to be dependent on somebody. Just by nature, you are dependent And he's saying, let it be me. If you want to come into the kingdom, let it be me. Be like the child. Be like the infant. And that's what I saw in these Sudanese refugees. Everything taken from them. 
family back in South Sudan, they don't know if they'll ever see them again. Their villages destroyed. No permanent structures in South Sudan. They blow them up. They won't let them have them. They find themselves in a foreign country with a religion completely different than theirs, having to learn a language, learn a culture. And their favorite song is this song that says, but Jesus has the final say. And they sang it over and over and over again. And they believed it. They were totally dependent. A lot of times we read texts like this, hear stories like that, say, Chris, I think that's great for someone else. A hidden gem in this text, if you look at it close enough, is the extreme availability of God. The extreme availability of God. Whether we will admit it or not, a lot of times we think, that sounds really nice, but Jesus is probably too busy for me. He's probably too busy to hear what I have to say. He's probably too busy for my problems. He's probably too busy to hear my latest issues. He's probably too busy. Can can I just tell you that Jesus is not hurried at all. In fact, he's completely relaxed right now. I know you're wondering when I'm going to end this sermon. There's even anxiousness that kind of wells up toward the end of a worship service. There's anxiousness that wells up in us all the time. Not Jesus. He's not frantic at all. And while we may waste time, you have to realize you're not a waste of time for him. And that's why he says you have to come to this place where you realize that you're totally dependent. Just let it be me. And you see, when when we get to that place where we're totally dependent, the promise that we have in Scripture is that He is totally present. He always is. But boy, when we come to that place where we're in close proximity to Jesus and we come dependent, we've been carried there dependent, He just says, come on. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you because as Peter said long ago, where else could we go? You have the words of life. and You are life itself. Father, I pray that we would be so dependent upon you. Right now, in this moment that we would realize we didn't get here on our own someone carried us that we would realize that yeah some people may not like that but we have this advocate who stands up for us and Lord I pray that we would humbly just say Lord we're dependent And Lord, I thank you that we're not a waste of time for you. You love these moments of just clear, unfiltered focus. We just look up to you. So Lord, as we leave tonight, would you help us be dependent? 
truly dependent. And forgive us for those moments when we think we can do it ourselves. But thank you for those moments when we realize our great need and we see your open arms. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name.